for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. In the field of rare diseases, rare epi- epilepsies, yeah, we are working pretty much with families and family associations. And I, I run deep phenotyping and I couldn't do without family help. In epilepsy research, where great minds work together as a great team, much more is achieved. We share a wonderful example of this with the Danish Epilepsy Centre team of Rike, uh, Guido and Elena, a combination of professors, assistant professors, geneticists, consultants, neurophysiologists, and more. They will be telling us about how they work with families to provide accurate diagnoses, care and treatment where possible. They speak of their genetic research into the epilepsies and about their exciting Diana Lund Epilepsy Conference in April with some fantastic speakers, by the way. Stay tuned to learn more. And if you would like to learn more about epilepsy and epilepsy research overall each week for free, make sure that you subscribe to the channel. If you're already a fan of the channel, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It just takes about two, three minutes and it makes a huge difference to us. Do make sure that you check out the text below if you're interested in learning more about our speakers, their research, the conference and our websites. Righty-ho, let's get cracking. Thank you so much for joining us, team. Um, Guido, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a clinical neurologist with a particular interest in epilepsy since I started my career in Italy. Um, I was trained in, in Bologna and then uh, most I spent some time in the US and then I moved in Denmark about 10 years ago in the Epilepsy Center. Most of my research has been always on epilepsy since I was a graduate in, in medicine. Uh, of course, uh, the Danish Epilepsy Center offers a very good opportunity for one with my interest, because it's the only tertiary center in epilepsy in Denmark. So you have a quite uh, extremely focused, of course, on epilepsy, a quite selected population, mainly difficult cases or difficult to diagnose cases. So you have a sort of selected population. But this gives you an opportunity also to to face uh, sometimes challenging situation and to do, of course, a very interesting research. So I am really... Uh, very happy to have moved here. It has been very rewarding professionally and uh, and and also achieved the position of Professor of Clinical Epileptology at the University of Copenhagen, which allows me really to, to, to be in close contact with colleagues in other disciplines but could be connected to the field of neurology, but particularly of epileptology. And are you 100% in research or are you split between research and clin- clinical work? My duties should be 50% clinical activities and 50% research, academic activity. At the end, it will be, it is normally 75% clinically, 75% academic. So, Gosh. there is some, yeah, I mean, doesn't make 100, but that's how it works. And that's how it is, <laughs> as everybody. One needs time for calls like this, I guess, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. 
for reaching out. Yeah. And and your and um the people that you work with or patients and families, do they tend to be uh, and and those for whom you you do your um research, are they people with the rare types of genetic epilepsies or would you have those who don't have identified genetic epilepsies and have controlled seizures for instance? No, not, not necessarily. I mean we are referred uh, I would say any kind of epilepsy patient that can have some challenges in diagnosis or in treatment. We also are involved in epilepsy surgery so not necessarily genetics of epilepsy. Uh, but of course then when you look for research what the resources that we have here allows her to focus more on certain fields. One can be neurophysiology, and Elena will tell you what she will do, what she's doing. And the other field, which has been really developed in the last years in our center, has been genetics of epilepsy. And this is the field where Reke is one of, I would say, the opinion leader um, in Denmark, but also internationally. And uh, so joining all these expertise together, my, as a, my expertise as a clinician, Elena as a clinician and also neurophysiologist, and Reke as a clinical geneticist and also a geneticist, in, in a hard geneticist, I would say, and I think it gave us the possibility to really a very, very, uh, I could say, very productive mutual relationships and to, to, to deal with the patient from different perspectives. Uh, also, we have the, the good things that we have here. We have very good uh, uh, special nurses that help us, at least myself personally, in dealing with person with patient or their families. So part of my work is also mediated by these special nurses, which is a really a very good thing that, for example, I did not have in my own country in Italy. And uh, we have the possibility to organize all the uh, investigations that we can do in a very easy way, in a very straightforward way. So I, I just to, to, to send the patient to the genetic department, even af, just after my consultation, to have a genetic test. Or as EEG, of course, it has to be planned, but we have very, very easy feedbacks from the other. We are only a phone call away, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or just around the corner. Across, just from one building to another building. So I think this, for this kind of, the kind of work I'm really interested in is a very privileged uh, situation. Uh, and uh, and and also the, I, I would have to say also that Denmark is a very well organized country in, the, in terms of um, health system. Uh, everything is uh, has been digitized, and this also eases the exchange of information, even with other hospitals. Well, many other countries sure have a lot to learn from you guys with that organization and. The, you know, the, the records of uh, everybody's whole genome and stuff. I love it. Um, so thank you so much, Guido. Now yourself, Elena, tell us a bit about yourself and how you work with the team too. Hi, Tori. I'm from Italy as well. And uh, uh, I had my, uh, all my uh, sort of formation in, in Bologna, which was a strong, uh, I mean, uh, uh, focus on epilepsy and sleep diseases. And I, I, I did all my, I mean, my training in epilepsy from the very beginning. It was a big passion for the very start. So I had my PhD in, I'm a neurology by training. So actually I'm clinician as well. And I had my PhD in Bologna as a clinical neurophysiologist. That means that I spend a lot of time with EG, also taking a look at the steroid intraclinian. I try to import that information into the clinics. That means not, not altogether, but integrating information. That is still my mission so far. Then I moved to Milano to an epilepsy center. 
and then to be sure not to deal with other ones, that, that, that epilepsy, I moved to the epilepsy village here in the Annaland in Denmark. And now, yes, and I'm working here at the department of neurophysiology. So uh, I work 40% into research and 60% in the in new clinical neurophysiology that mainly means uh, monitoring, e.g. monitoring for people just to be undergone epilepsy surgery, but especially also for differential diagnosis. Uh, and my research is, is strictly uh, integrated with the ones of Guido and Reke because I'm focused uh, pretty much on uh, uh, children and adults with uh, development epileptic encephalopathies trying especially the ones which has a genetic diagnosis and uh, not only them, but this is pretty much focused on that because my research is focused on finding pattern of clinical and evolution. It is include pretty much the EG evaluation to me because it's a, it's a matter of finding networks for that and uh, figure out how the disease can modulate a network that can intervene on that. And we do it uh, locally because we have uh, the privilege to work integrated and with a selection of, of children, which are rare diseases. So we have a lot of work, but we go also internationally, we have a big network. And I collect uh, EG data from everywhere in the world and we work pretty much, I mean, in, uh, in, in team, yeah. I, I love this this pattern so far, just hearing of how you all put your your skill sets together. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Thank you, Elena. Now, Rike, tell us a bit about you and how you contribute to all this amazingness. Yeah, so as Guido said, I'm the hardcore geneticist here. <laughs> so so um, I'm uh, head of our department here. I'm head of the Department of Epilepsy Genetics and Personalized Medicine. I'm a geneticist and I have been working here at the Danish Epilepsy Center for the past 18 years now. So I started my PhD here uh, 18 years ago and then I became a postdoc, then an uh, assistant professor, then an associate professor and two years ago I was appointed as a full professor. Um, and um, here in the department, we're doing uh, genetic testing of patients with uh, epilepsy. We're doing genetic counseling. And then, of course, we're doing uh, research. And um, our research, so Guido and Elena already told about some of our focus areas, but of course, we are trying to identify new genes uh, involved in, uh, in epilepsy and neurodevelopmental uh, disorders. Then we are trying to, to correlate what we are finding in the genes with the symptoms that we see in the patients and how they respond to treatment. And then at the end, we are trying to see if we can improve the treatment based on what we have seen in the genes. And the three of us as a team, so we are complementing each other quite well. So Elena can do the EGs. Of course, Guido can also do the EGs, but Guido has the clinical perspective, Elena has the clinical and neurophysiology perspective, and I come as the hardcore geneticist. <laughs> <laughs> the hardcore. You do the scary stuff. Yeah, 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 I'm the scary person, you know. <laughs> this is, oh, this is so cool. So, do you know what, this is an unplanned question, but I'm going to put it out there. So imagine if you had, um, say, say me as a patient, right? Is this, or is this some random patient? What would be the process with how you help the individual? So say I'm a new one. I've just come over to you guys. I guess I would see you first, Guido. Is that correct? Yeah. And then you'd say, oh, my goodness, refractory epilepsy, dodgy activity. Who would you pass me on to? 
<laughs> no, usually, yeah, the patient come over here referred by other specialists or hospitals. And at the first meeting, actually, with the patient, the patient includes also the NEG study, I would say 100% of the patient, sometimes also some uh, blood tests, uh, general blood tests. So the first time, of course, is just to review the whole clinical history of the patient, to look at eventually other neurological problems, and to try to make a first hypothesis of what could be the diagnosis, if the diagnosis is still in doubt. Of course, the diagnosis needs to be complemented by the EEG studies, by also the biochemical investigation. It can be, particularly if the patient is referred from another center, and the patient, for example, has already an history, a long, more or less long history of epilepsy, and there are some hints of a possible uh, family history or genetic background. It can be that already at the first meeting, I contact Reke, I, I, tell, him, I tell her my Dobbs hypothesis, and the patient can get also the genetic testing at the very first visit. It has already happened several times. Yes, so we would then, we will call us and we will have an evaluation of the clinical symptoms. So if the, the seizure onset is, for instance, uh, below the age of three years and we don't have any other obvious explanation, then we would suggest genetic testing. If it's a familial focal epilepsy, for instance, then we will suggest genetic testing. If it's a part of the surgical workup, then we will um, suggest genetic testing to avoid, avoid uh, doing epilepsy surgery on patients with a channelopathy, for instance, and so on. So then we can guide uh, Guido or the other clinicians and, and help them um, evaluating whether genetic testing is uh, appropriate or not. Um, and then Guido will refer the patient to our department, so he will just call our one of our nurses and she will take a conversation with the family, inform the family about uh, the process of, uh, of entering a genetic testing program. Uh, they will be informed about panel sequencing or exome sequencing, incidental findings and so on. And then we will draw the blood purify the DNA, do next-generation sequencing, either as a panel or polyxome sequencing. Then after six to eight weeks, we'll get the results back. We will write a report, send it to Guido. If we find something in the genes, then we will call the family in for genetic counseling. And then if we don't find an explanation, then Guido is the one who's going to... to um, to tell the family about the result. May I have something here? And in neurophysiology, we can offer both the standard EG, the sleep EG, which is the better, but especially you can offer the 24-hour EG monitoring in order to guarantee deep phenotyping of this patient and clarify how the situation is, I mean, as a baseline, and especially clarify how the seizure looks like and how many they are. Sometimes it's not easy to understand how many they are because some seizures are subtle or undetected, and especially what is a seizure, what is not, and, and clarify also the profile for This is extremely important to the management later on, just for being sure that you are uh, an overview, excel overview of the type and kind of seizure and how the, the patient react to the therapy at follow-up. And sometimes actually you, know, you can, based on the EEG, you can say that I assume that this is a genetic epilepsy. Could you do 
genetic testing uh, just based on what you have seen in the EEG? <laughs> sometimes it's very, very suggestive. Of, so so yeah. it's, sometimes it's, it's clear cut that a patient has to be tested from the EEG. Yeah. I mean, the, the key for high quality to me is integration of the data. This is why we work in a team. Integrating the data is the key necessarily to reach a high quality of treatment and management and consequently research as well. But first of all... How long, on average, does it take from then that moment that a patient might come in through the door, Guido, you'll say, hmm, this looks like possibly genetic, or they'll go, we need the video telemetry, you pass the patient over to Elena and potentially Ricky at the same time, and then you have a official um, diagnosis, um, suggested treatment. How long does that process take on average? To complete what we already said, of course, we need other investigation very often, for example, imaging, or that we do not have um, uh, over here. But we have very, very good connections with the other hospital here in Denmark. So we can have a high quality MS scanning in one Months, max six weeks. We can have functional imaging more or less on the same time schedule. Uh, we have a very, uh, Rick already said that, uh, I'm happy that she already said it because I would have asked it to say, we have high state of the art genetic testing. So we can do here in our center most of the state of the art genetic testing, but for research, you are very well connected in other centers also outside of Denmark that can do some other kind of studies we're not doing here. So I think we can offer really a very comprehensive evaluation. But to respond to answer to your question, usually to have all the, let's say, uh, initial um, uh, investigation overview, what is done in our center, you, we get the genetic uh, answer in about six weeks, max eight weeks, right record. Then we have MS scanning. Then we can have, of course, EG. EG is standard EG at the beginning. Then it depends which other kind of EG you need. But usually in about max two months, we have an overview of all the possible investigations that have been done. Sometimes the diagnosis can be done also at the very first visit. So the diagnosis is just to understand the cause, to understand better how we could treat the patient. Sometimes we need all the investigation to have a more precise diagnosis. It's just like so amazing when I, when I think of how so many um, families and patients I've spoken to who it's just like taken like 10, 20 years for them to get an effective or sorry, to get an accurate diagnosis and therefore, you know, going down the, the correct route for treatment. So this is this is brilliant news uh, really to hear about this for uh, both families and for clinicians. So I can kind of think we can go on to now hearing an overview of what you guys do. Um well, we've got the conference in April. Diana Lund International Conference on Epilepsy. So what has been discovered over the past, I don't know, like a year or two, basically lockdown, um, can you give us an overview of what you have learned through your work that's going to be shared, just little snippets, that's going to be shared with everybody during the conference? There'll be a session about transition, how we can use our genetic testing uh, in adults uh, and the transition from adulthood to, no, from pediatric to adult care. <laughs> I would like the reverse, but of course it's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then there'll be a, a session about trial readiness, so how we can... Um, can um, conduct natural history studies, for for instance, and try to uh, to describe genetic epilepsies uh, from birth to death. Then there'll be um, a session about novel treatments. There'll be a, a session about how we can 
use uh, genetic testing in, in epilepsy surgery workup. Then there'll be a session about the latest news, so people can send in abstracts and uh, tell about their most recent uh, research results. So what have I... F- and then, of course... <laughs> then there's going to be this this strange-looking, shifty pe- person with epilepsy coming along to share a bit of her story, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm... Honestly, for everyone listening, this is so... This is just also exciting for families um, affected by the epilepsies because even though I know um, that the information presented by you guys and other people attending is very unlikely to impact me personally it's really exciting for I know so many families around the world both now and in the future and it's this type of information um, that really kind of helps motivate or should help motivate a lot of us out there who at the moment for whatever reason have refractory epilepsy but I think also um, this shows the importance of conferences um, to um, academics, researchers and clinicians because it's quite easy to get sort of stuck in a rut, isn't it, with your, with your particular research project. But when you have these conferences, you get people coming in from all over the world and you can learn from each other, which benefits the patients and families. And I would like to mention that in, in the field of rare diseases, rare epil- epilepsies, yeah, we are working pretty much with families and family association. And I, I run deep phenotyping and I couldn't do without family help. So this is extremely important. We, 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 we work really closely together. We are a great day between them. I mean, the families contribute pretty much to our research and to improve our knowledge. I mean, in the daily practice, we have a strict connection with them. Maybe a collaboration is, is a key word here. So, so, yeah, both for family associations and clinicians and also basic scientists to try to understand the, the underlying mechanisms here. And then, of course, all the, also the pharmaceutical industry to try to... Uh, to develop new compounds, new medications for, for patients with rare epilepsies or rare genetic epilepsies. So collaboration is definitely a key word. Just the title of the conference, which is Implementing Epilepsy Genetics in Clinical Practice, is really would like to illustrate this umbrella of different com- competences working together to, to get better treatments and to help better the patient. And that's why we are happy to have the patients involved in the program, uh, in the program of the, co- of the conference. And our work is to build a bridge. To build yeah, a yeah, bridge. To, to, to bridge the gap. Yeah, this is in, yeah. Basic science and clinical and less, yeah, implementation. Yeah, and hopefully provide encouragement for you all, like, so you can see the positive impact that you're making on people's lives. And although I know that you're doing that already, especially you, Elena, but... Um, and that you're, yeah, it's just, oh gosh, I just feel so gooey inside. It's all just like so, so lovely. Um, so what would you say, this is going to sound like an out there question, but what would you say the next, say, one to five years holds for epilepsy research when it comes to genetics? Because I know like over the past few years, it's just gone like like this, it's just gone extraordinary, like the amount of information you found out and, but the implementing that, knowledge into more effective treatments is, is quite a um, challenge, I think. Of course, since the, the first gene was discovered in 1995, and, um, and now we have more than 600 genes that can cause a monogenic form of epilepsy. Of course, unfortunately, we do not have had 
treatment approaches for all of them or targeted treatments for all of them. But the we are facing exciting times, I would say. So we, we are now, hopefully in the future, trying to, to treat the epilepsy and not only the seizures, but also the underlying cause of, of the epilepsy. Uh, and there's so many um, exciting treatments in, in the pipeline, new small molecules, uh, antisense oligonucleotides or other um, gene-modifying therapies and ultimately in the future hopefully also gene therapy. So, and of course, Guido and Elena as clinicians, they have to deal with all these new uh, uh, treatments that are coming up. Um, but before we can offer treatment to patients with genetic epilepsies, then we need to describe the, the the symptoms and we need to understand the disease and this is what Elena and Guido can help helping us do so this is why Elena's studies are so important because we need to understand the disorder before we can target or do targeted treatment uh, as I used to say actually is let's start working together because actually we, we, we learn from families and we, we, we share our knowledge, our knowledge and we learn from families by uh, collecting data. And so I say, let's start working together. What we know right now is that, and this is the, the perspective for the next year, but it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. So we keep in touch and, and we do that. We work as a several control, we keep in touch, we work together and the patient will be updated to have a new of course, we have our field of interest, of special interest. Mine is, for example, sodium channelopathies, and in that, I, I guess I dedicate, we have PhD working on that, and I say, dedicate our research and, and give back a feedback to families, and the family help us in better understanding the diseases. So it's definitely uh, a back and forward process. Yeah, yeah, these are, of course, rare diseases, and we are on a travel together with the families, I would say. So we don't have all the answers yet, or maybe. <laughs> we are really optimistic. I think we will be much, many more answers in, in a couple of years, for example. So we know that there's so much work to do. So if anybody wants to get in touch with um, either of you three... Either the right word to use. Anyway, either of you three. Um, and if they're interested in potentially being involved with your research, whether they be clinicians, academics, or um, family members, what should they do? And and I guess everybody has to. Does everybody have to be from Denmark to be involved? Well, some of us are part of some the scientific board of some epilepsy association or epilepsy foundations. So um, of course, uh, some some patients go to the foundation to contact some of us. Of course, our addresses are fully available on, on Google, so we get also sometimes <laughs> mails from patients all over the world asking for information. Last one was yesterday, and uh, so that's. Of course, uh, we always prefer also to have not only the patient counter but also the attending physician because we need sometimes some special specialistic or technical information that sometimes the patient are not. Uh, for them, it's difficult to give to the to us. But yeah, I, the best thing, of course, is to to include the information that we can get in a framework or in a project already existing. Because, as Elena said, all of us have some special field of interest. Genetics is not just genetics. All of us uh, are specialized in some genes, in in some processes, and and so we cannot, of course, face all of the the challenges that are posed by this. 
But yeah, we as a center is uh, on the website and we are fully available. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we are, maybe we should mention that we are members of Epicare, of course, which is the reference which is important. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then people can follow our activities on Twitter <laughs> or LinkedIn. I'll put the links to your, well, to Epicare and to your social media platforms beneath this recording. So everybody follow, um, follow these guys. They're doing amazing stuff. I think that the title of the next conference uh, is, is, I think, is made also, is not is made, the program, of course, is made, but to attract clinicians. One of the hurdles, I think, for most of the clinicians is to understand how genetics can change their practice. Genetics is, is a, a, a field in a huge development in last years. It's very difficult for somebody who is not in the field to follow all of the developments, not only, only, only the new genes, but also the new uh, possibilities that are provided by genetics. So we hope that with the next conference to, to introduce people who are not used to deal with genetic data how to use them in their practice. Of course, they are not to become geneticists, but they have to be able to talk with the geneticists. Motivating the people, not feeling shy to, to contact us and, and ask for tips, because we are experts in some field, dedicated fields, but we, sh we are happy to share our expertise. So I'm not sure whether the, the message is passed or not, but it, this is important. They just reach out. Yeah, or, or if we don't know the answer, then probably we no persons who are working on this and that gene and then we can refer you and are you referring to specifically like neurologists or are you talking about any type of clinician at all who might be interested in the epilepsies even families everybody every yeah well i can assure everybody listening and watching that these three people are very very approachable and you know regular humans just with who are very very clever and really really want to help individuals and families um, so please do approach these guys I will uh, include links to their profiles beneath this recording well thank you so much everybody you've been absolute stars thank you thank this you, has been great <laughs> thank you Dory if you'd like to connect you can find me on Twitter LinkedIn Facebook or Instagram and I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.